Hi and welcome to Mark's Motivational Podcast. I really hope you find this as well this Sunday. I hope you had a great weekend. Um, thanks for tuning in. So I hope you're liking these uh, podcasts. If you are liking them, you might like them and share them. Um, tonight I, I was joined by another guest called Michael Gigax, um, who's written a book on running. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. And welcome to Mark's Motivational um, Podcast. You're very welcome along this this um, Sunday evening. Um, tonight I'm joined by um, Michael Gigax. He's um, a great runner and um, he's released a book um, recently. Um, it's available on Kindle. Well, it's probably a while ago now, but it's called... Um, yeah, sorry, it's called A Golden Era um, Profiles of Irish Mastered, Master Athletics. A Golden Era, the book is called by Michael Gigax, and he's going to be joining me now. Um, so I'm honoured to have him on the podcast tonight. Um, so I really hope you enjoy the, enjoy the podcast. Um, so I'll give you a brief um, description of the, of the, of the book. Uh, it captures the history, uh, geography, sorry, I can't even geography, sorry, <laughs> social, climate, um, family fortunes, politics, and personal stories of a largely undocumented group of Irish sports stars, Irish masters, athletics subjects range uh, from 25 to 90 years of age and haul from 32 countries. So it's, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to having a chat with him. So I'll be talking to Michael now in a second. Um, okay, thanks for tuning in. So you're very welcome along, Michael. Thanks a lot for uh, tuning into the interview tonight. Doing the interview tonight. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you're you're big into the running yourself. You're you're a big um, runner. I well, I've been in Rohini Shamrocks for since 1979 or 80, and I was yeah. in Grange Athletic before that. So I'm running since I was 12 or 13. Okay. So. Tom O'Connor was my coach in Grange Athletic Club, which was associated with De La Salle School. So I, 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 looking back, I mean, I was really lucky to having a great coach. Mm-hmm. And then when I hit the age of 19, I ran a marathon because Dublin City Marathon came along. And I ran my first marathon at 19 and 2.43. Wow. And then a year later, 2.31. And then two years later, I ran 2.30. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky to be in Rohini Shamrocks and... I was in the same company as maybe Dick and Pat Hooper, who had been who had just come back from the Moscow Olympics. So that was the sort of that was the sort of cloud I was living in. Mm-hmm. So although thirty sounds respectable enough, like I was twenty six in Dublin City Marathon at that stage, and I was thirty second the other time. Um, there was a lot of people in the club a lot better than me. Um, so I wasn't really looking at the people behind me. I was looking at the people who were better than me. But I was very very um proud of being able to run that well i suppose and at that stage i that if i was able to run two and a half hours for a marathon that i was i was some sort of a half decent runner you know because i'd run because i would have been running things like the dublin novice and i'd be only getting the top 50 so when i finished 32nd and 26th in dublin city i realized i had more potential something to work with you know so um so i so you know, I ran four marathons by the age of 22, and then I didn't run another marathon until I was uh, 29. Mm. And so what, what got you interested in the running yourself, uh, Michael? 
I think I always loved running. I always loved, yeah. I always dreamed of being a runner. And yeah. once I started running, I loved every minute of the training and every, I, I mean, my whole, a lot of my whole social, cultural set mm. is engaged with athletics. You know, I've made so many friends. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, and, you know, I, I, looking at athletics, running, being with people who are runners, always loved it. It was just my, my mana, you know, my mana from heaven. I, I suppose I was always a bit hyperactive, and I loved the whole idea of movement. Yeah, sorry, just one, one. But you were saying there about, like, yeah, so it's a lot of social aspect in the running, isn't it, Michael? I suppose my whole, like, I went to India in 1985, and I went for a year. And when I was there, I was sort of in a different culture, meeting a lot of different people. And the point, you go abroad for a year and you come back, sometimes a lot of people feel lost. I came back into training, I came back to all my old friends, came back to all my old social setup. So it was all there for me and all my friends were there for me. They hadn't moved on. And I always find that to some extent, all the people I've, I've met through athletics, it's very much enriched my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good, very good, Michael. And um, you've, you've, have you released the one book? How many books have you, have you written? Basically, about seven or eight years ago, I, I, I was in, I was sitting in a pub and a former girlfriend, I was sort of saying, oh, Michael Trainer has won Dublin Championships, Leinster Championships, and National Championships, European Championships, and World Championships all in one year. I said, Eamon Cochran, I was his physio for a number of years was the first person to break four minutes for a mile over 40. Wow. Um, there's various people who are, a guy called Lynch broke the world record for over 60 over 1,500 meters. And I said, no one is really writing about this in one canon or one book. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's lost. It's, I, I see Irish people are doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. And no one's really about in a systematic way. Yeah. A book historically called Beyond a Singular Truth, which was on I, I do acupuncture and physical therapy, and was about I suppose looking at the world of why we uh, the world of healing, I suppose, through the prism of acupuncture and massage and so on and so forth. So they said, Well, why don't you write the book? And I said, Well, yeah, maybe I will. And then I looked at there was a guy called Noel Benny, he'd written two books on athletics historically. And I said, if I was ever going to write a book, I'd do differently what he did. Um, because if you have 50 biographies on people, eventually one fades into the next. And you, when you read 10, the 11th doesn't sound too much different to the last one. So I had this idea that I get, I would write some of the pieces. Some people would write their own pieces. And I get other people to write about other people. So there was a real eclectic mix of of opinion and subject matter so in other words the book would grab the attention to the reader because they weren't all the same yeah so yeah. that was my idea to write one book or to, and to edit what other people did and that um you know so i basically started the project and it sort of snowballed and after a while the 50 pieces I had was 100 pieces. And I was sort of saying, oh, 
And so I went around looking for a publisher and everybody said it was far too big. Mm. You've too much, too much stuff here for one book. You have to cut it in half. So I then decided to cut it in half by age. So, so I cut it in half and I had two books with maybe 55 people in each. And I sort of realigned it according to age. So people between 1934 and 1956 formed the first book. And then people born between 57 and 92 formed the second book. So they sold published. And then when that was sold out, I published the second one. So it was Golden Era, Volume 1, and Golden Era, Volume 2. That's brilliant, so, Michael. Well done. Congratulations. As it happened, the first book really captured the very beginning of Masters Athletics and Masters Competition. And a lot of people were born, you know, in the 30s and 40s. So it reflected a completely different social scene. Mm -hmm. Born in the 60s and 70s. 60s and 70s were much more modern. Yeah. So when I was talking about the early days, were people who were born just at the formation of our state. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were born during very poor times. And when there wasn't very little established competition and stuff. Mm. So it, it, it a lot of Irish cultural history, really, to the prism of um to the prison of, of ordinary people talking about their lives. So you could nearly call it the people's history of Irish athletics. Very good. That's brilliant. Um did did you did you get many people with motivational stories, uh, Michael, when you were writing this book? Uh, motivation, what I mean by that is um like how they, they they started their career in running or how they motivate themselves to to um, run marathons and stuff like that. Was there any of that in the book? Yeah, well, I think when you read about anybody, you look at them and say, well, what do they have that I don't have? Yeah. And their story themselves sort of, they tell how they did it. And then when you look at yourself, you say, well, they can do it. Maybe I can do part of that. Mm. And that is motivation itself. Yeah. But it's bringing your own personal history. Like some of the stories, uh, like you'd see people and it would be winning European and world championships. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that their home situation, that they might have um, a wife who's an invalid and they're in a wheelchair and they have yeah. to look after them all the time. And you look at them and say, Jesus, they were trained every day. And yet they're looking after an invalid and a carer, as well mm -hmm. as having a different job and running a and b or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you might see else and, you know, they had a stroke and yet they went on from there and they won medals at European world level. I said, well, if someone had a stroke and came out of a wheelchair, well, maybe uh, if they can do it, I mean, what are they doing that I'm not doing? What's their mindset? Mm. What is their mindset? So yeah. I think without being judgmental, People can make their own deductions from the stories they read. And some of the stories are, gives, an, gives a real insight into the vulnerability mm. that we all have in our lives and or the difficulties that we have as well as the strengths, you know. Yeah. And when I was writing that book first, I said the one thing I didn't want was I went out, I trained hard, I won a medal, and I'm fantastic. Mm. I said, that's going to bore the knickers off anyone reading it. And yeah. Get yeah. You know? Yeah. Because that, like, I said, I want to know authentically what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the only 
I mean, it captured a social history mm. of all people who were great to their sport. Yeah. And some of them may have been very low achievers in other aspects of their lives, but very high achievers in their sport. Yeah. So, and again, some people just transcended what we think is ordinary by having an extraordinary talent or an extraordinary discipline. Yeah. So there's a great humanity in the book. I mean, the first book was really about, um, I, I just can't think of the name off the top of my head, um, but it was, she was a corp lady um, in, in, um, who, who was running under her, she, the story was written from the perspective of a seven-year-old boy who right. brought to look at his mother running when she was in her 40s, beating younger kids, meeting, meeting younger athletes and doing very, very well. And she went on to win European and World Championship level. But, he, but the story is written from the perspective of a seven-year-old boy being brought to races by their father and mother and them cheering her on on the sidelines. And yeah. that whole depicts a great love of family and mm. a great connectivity yeah. and their father coached not only her but a lot of very very good athletes in Leevale right. Athletic Club that piece is called Better Late Than Never yeah that sounds brilliant because it is really a family thing it can be uh, Michael can't it like, like I did it one of myself like, so it is great to have your kids there with you and and cheering you on, like I, I get, I get that. But um, I, I love the, I love the part you were talking about there a little bit earlier on as well, Michael, about you were saying the guy that was in the wheelchair and he was disabled. So out of diversity, he was able to um triumph and um and, and do really very very successful and a talent at running. So I think that's, that's a great 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 story, you know. That was Sheila Champion, actually a lady who's now in her eighties. And she had a stroke. She had actually three strokes. And I was an acupuncturist. She came to me for treatment. I was overawed by her. Now, she's actually suffering from quite severe dementia now. Mm. And she's in her 80s. And her husband's in her 80s. And, you know, but she made a lot of her life. And she had a twin sister who also won medals at European and world level. And they came from a background of gymnastics. And they were basically doing the pole vault and race walking. Okay. But, I mean, her whole team in life was... The only thing stopping us in life is ourselves. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, definitely. And it's sort of very interesting. And, you know, I'd rather pontificate about that and say, well, you know, we make our own judgments from our own point of view rather than, you know, feeling guilty about anything. You know, it's it, it, it a source of inspiration. Like, at the moment, I'm swimming every day in the sea. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And last year, I saw people swimming in the summer and I was or, or, or a year and a half ago and I said, the sea is too cold. Mm. But then I saw little old men and little old women in their 80s and 90s going, yeah, yeah. people say, you're great. And I said, this time last year, I wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. And like I, your, your limiting beliefs can set you back. Like if you have limiting beliefs, like that, that can... Yeah, I mean, and it starts with the first step and the first step can lead to the second step and lead to the 100 metres and can lead to the marathon and lead to the 24-hour yeah. race. But who wants to run a 24-hour race? Maybe doing a 5K well is better than doing a marathon very slowly. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because um, what would you say to young young people that, that want to get interested in running? What, what, can you give any tips 
for to motivate yourself to to start running like if anybody's listening to the to this uh, podcast that you could help them with thanks michael very simply there's a joy in movement yeah and grasp the joy and and uh, and experience the joy and by starting small you can build big if you do too much too quickly you'll break down and there's a great joy in adding physical activity to your day so in that sense yeah i mean it's just there's great joy in being able to use your body well and to me being able to use your body well is as important as, as the three oars reading writing and arithmetic mm-hmm. and it's something that's often neglected and for me it's a very important part of one's education great 100 yeah yeah brilliant that, that's that's great yeah See, most like we all have a talent, and we all have a limitation. But ultimately, being able to do anything is starting with the first step, and in some ways, not give do things because you worry about what other people to think, and they say oh, I'm no good. Like I started running when I was twelve, and when I was four or five, I still couldn't walk properly. Mm. But I love movement, and every cripple walks with its own limp but I mean as a 12 year old I was a particularly poor athlete as a 16 year old I was becoming to a stage where I was sort of half decent but I was good enough to win in North Lancers but a lot of people a lot better than me you know mm. but just a lot of movement actually brought me to a stage where I became a reasonably good athlete because I just loved it so just a joy and being empowered to be able to get from A to B mm. and enjoying that freedom of being able to move well. There's a great value in that. Yeah, that's brilliant, Michael. Brilliant. Because um yeah so what way would you would you have um you know for your first marathon, what way would you have you have trained for that Michael just very briefly? Um would you had some kind of routine that you'd always follow when you are training for a marathon? Routine. I mean, my whole thing was that well, not that I was only running for a marathon. My whole thing was like I I was very lucky where I was training with guys who were Olympians. Yeah. Okay. And I was very naive starting off, and you know I remember as a sixteen-year-old looking at a sixteen-year-old girl, saying, "God, is there any girl who could run ten miles?" And I, I someone showed me she can run ten miles, and I was overawed. I said, "That's amazing." And then I remember. The most I could run maybe was five miles. And I remember my coach saying, do you know the guy who won the Olympics in 1976 Olympics? you know what his training was? He ran a marathon a day. And I looked at that and I said, oh, how could anyone do that? Yeah. That's amazing. How could anyone do, I could do five miles? Yeah, by the age of 19, I was regularly doing 20-mile runs. And then by the age of, when I was in my 20s, I was doing 100 mile a week. So it's one of 15 to 20 miles every day. So the whole thing is routine and managing your time, but also managing your rest. Yeah. Because if, if you're doing too much, you break down. So a very mm-hmm. important part of running well is to know how to switch off. Yeah, that, that's great advice. So yeah. I, but I would have been running to work and running home and managing my time well. Mm. You know, and again, if you want to become a runner, I would say run track. Run eight and fifteen hundred meters, you know, 
run mm. four or five years, particularly younger, run four or five hundred, run four or five, sorry, run four or five years of running eight and fifteen hundred meters, five thousand meters. A lot of people start to think they're, they think that they've no speed, mm. but you can only have by training with groups to develop that talent. And if you can't run eight hundred meters well, you'll never be an elite athlete at anything. Yeah, yes. Yeah, if you're in the right group, it, it, it will bring you there, you know. And, and the athletic club is the place to go because there's great coaches, there's great understanding, and there's great company. So, if you want to develop as an athlete, go to your local athletic club and get involved in the group that's progressive, but also run track. Mm-hmm. Running yeah. track is the difference between ballroom, being a ballerina, and being rock and roll. Very good. I love that. <laughs> yeah, because uh, like I agree hundred percent. Because I've I, I only uh, joined the club there last year, um, Tala Athletics Club, you know, and and I agree you hundred percent. Like like you think you're doing well, but then until you get into a into a, a club like that and they show you how to run properly in the track, you have a you have a tendency to run too quick or start too quick. But the coaches are there to guide you to to say don't run too fast, keep it at a steady pace. And keep your keep your time. So I agree with you hundred percent, Michael. That's great advice. Yeah, the thing, the most important thing, is to enjoy the process of movement. Yeah. But I look at like I look at people, and I just say, you know, this running gig is actually very simple. You synchronize your arms and legs, and you start off synchronizing them slowly, but also your move, your move. Like you look at people doing park runs, and they think 20 minutes is fast and they might be 16 or 17 and I'd be saying well actually you should be really aiming to run maybe sub 15 and if you get to elite level run sub 14 and that's possible by not necessarily doing a lot more training but doing doing a type of training that's progressive mm-hmm. and you're in the right group but if you can't run fast over 800 meters you never become an elite athlete. I'm not saying that should be a primary goal because it depends when you come into the sport. But I, but an ideal time to start training would be 12 or 13. So do you think as as a plus 40, like like say uh, anybody that's over 40, can they actually, um, in your opinion, can they get faster to a, to a really good level um, it, it, I'm not saying like if they only started at 40, but they've ran for years on on and off. Like everybody has a little gap. I find in their 20s they just find a bit of alcohol and and the the fun life, you know. But um, but then you're getting back and just saying your 40s. Can that can yeah, you, can, I, can you can you progress at that that late, late stage? Do you think, in your opinion? Of course. Of course you can, but it depends what you want to put into it. Like I I see some I see. I've been at Rohini Club Championships mm. and I've seen people run, say, 5K and they've run 25 minutes. Good. And I've run, say, 18 minutes and they're over 50. And then I say, well, what's your best time over 100 metres? And they say, well, I've run 12 seconds. I say, well, I can't run 16 seconds to run 5,000 metres, sir. Why don't you yeah. run one, two, four? Mm. I mean, you're not built to do that, but you're running this. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're cool. all not the distance runners. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have an app for doing something different or something faster. You know, 
yeah. or something completely. And, and a sprinter would train like a, would train like a weightlifter, where mm. an athlete would do something very, very different. So it's a very different approach to training. And some people are just in the wrong event. Mm. Now, you can go out and enjoy running for 5K or 10K, and you might be a brilliant 400-meter runner. And that's okay if that's where you, where you want to be at. But if you want to be an athlete and really enjoy it and you have that potential, well, why not run 400 meters? That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. why not train for 400 meters? Mm. Like if you're, if you're, if you, if as an athlete, if, if as a distance runner, you're hitting three out of 10. And as a, as a 400 meters running, you're hitting nine out of 10. Why aren't you, why aren't you running 400 meters? Yeah, makes that's sense. What, yeah. yeah. That's what you, that's what that's what you're physiologically built to do. And do you mention? Sorry, Michael. Do you mention that stuff in the book? Would you give a bit of tips like that in in your book you've written? No, not really. I, I mean, I think the stories speak for themselves. I mean, any story. I mean, people draw their own conclusions from the story, but that becomes apparent through reading different stories. Like if you're reading about a sprinter. And Mike Donnan, you got to never sprint, sprint, but I was playing football and I was quickest on the pitch. Maybe I should try sprinting. Mm. Very good, yeah. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So, uh, that's really good insight, yeah. Yeah, uh, or, or somebody, or somebody, like I coached a lot of people. I coached a lot of kids in Rohini back in the 90s. I, I started an athletic group for six and seven-year-olds. And I built up a tremendous group and it was mainly the parents I coached coaches. But I mean, in that, I had everyone throwing the javelin, I had everyone doing the shot put, I had everyone learning a little bit of race walking, I had everyone doing a bit of sprinting. So from the age of six to 12, I'd effectively have everyone doing everything that you'd have in the decathlon. Very good. To get a taste of. Mm. And then you can develop that from there. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree hundred percent. It's good for kids to have a have a a, a a wide taste of different sports, even or or like different. That's really good advice as well. Try different um things like sprinting and long distance and different different uh different distances, isn't it really? Yeah, different events, different different distances. I mean, the other thing which is really important, I think, is that at the highest level people who are elite athletes, they would tend to suffer more depression than an average person. They would? They would. So being an elite athlete comes with a high risk in some areas of life. Mm. Right? So therefore, the best form from your health point of view of exercise is to be recreational. Yeah. So being... Getting into the stage of being very competitive brings the risk of injury, brings the risks of obsession, brings a, a lot of risks of even poor health from overtraining. Right? Mm. It can bring those. And I suppose the ideal thing to do is to do a variety of things. Like for a 70-year-old man to play some golf, play some tennis, to play some table tennis, to do some swimming and to do some running is possibly more healthy for his body than just doing one thing. Oh yeah, I agree with you 100%. That's great, yeah, that's great. Okay. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you coming on tonight there, Michael. Can you just mention for the listener what the name of the book is again uh, and tell them where you can, you can get it? 
Well, you can only get it off me at the moment. A golden era volume one, volume two. I have volume two still for sale. Volume two may be on sale on the internet. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's on Amazon. Yeah. I looked at it, everyone. It is on Amazon. I, I did check it, everyone. It's available on Amazon um, to buy. It, it's an amazing work because it's a lovely history of Irish people and the social history of, you know. But it's something I'm really proud of because it's really captured something very important. As I say, it's called the Golden Era. Because I, I actually was naming the book initially Diverse Voices because I wanted to capture this concept of the diversity. And then the, the, the publisher said to me, look, the golden era means, you know, we're, we're in a golden era because a lot of Irish people are winning medals at European and world level. But it also is a second meaning where we're in our golden years, we're getting older. Yeah, yeah. People winning things in older age as well, in a diverse thing. So, you know, it, it just captures a lovely history of Irish people that may not have been captured otherwise. That sounds amazing, yeah. I'd love to get I you think, on again, Michael, just to talk about uh, writing a book, writing book, because that's one thing I'm really interested in, um, how you got the publisher, because I've written a book myself. So that'd be great to get you on to talk about that in the future, if that's okay. But the first, the, the thing is, the whole publishing industry is changing hugely. Yeah. It's very difficult. It's mm -hmm. nearly impossible to make money writing a book. Yeah. It's easy to lose your shirt publishing a book as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you always have to, and like I know a lot of people, and this is amazing, it was an amazing experience for me writing the book because I had a lot of preconceptions about books. Like I thought I would go to a race. There's a thousand people in a race. I'd sell a hundred books. I went to a race and brought my book and I might've traveled from Dublin to Cork and I sold five books and I said, Jesus. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and that's but... the reality. And it doesn't matter if it's Dave Gillock, Michael Gigax, Ronnie Delaney. They've all experienced the same. Yeah. Yeah the difficulty in publishing mm. so you want to publish in a way where you're not going to lose your shirt i am i actually invested 24 grand in publishing those two books my god yeah because i've self-published mine on amazon which cost me nothing like it it was an it was an ebook and then like i'm I nearly have a paperback you know and i again i i said at the time what i do i published a book before self-published got beyond a singular truth and i said do you want to step no i said i wanted to really do this right and I want to have this for posterity, you know? Mm. Um, but I thought starting off that I would sell 10, 20, 30,000 books. Mm. This was in my head. Yeah. So I thought I couldn't lose. Uh, I didn't lose money. Certainly didn't make money. Mm. It was a great experience, the whole process. It was a great journey. Yeah, very good. No, yeah, no, that, that's great. Thanks very much, Michael. I might just ask you one or two questions before uh, we finish up tonight, if that's okay. Just some questions I ask everybody that comes on. I hope you enjoyed the, the interview. Uh, the first one is, um, talking about books, do you have a favourite author or favourite favorite book that you've read? I read very widely. Um, Free Trip Capra. Um, okay. The Turning Point, The Web of Life, Uncommon Wisdom. Okay. Uh, read some Noam Chomsky's work. Oh, I heard it's very good, yeah. 
Yeah. I've known Howard Zinn would be very, he wrote The People's History of the United States. He was a brilliant author, a brilliant thinker. i just leave you on one point. Um, the Jewish people, hmm. some of them came from very, back, very impoverished backgrounds in the, in the 19th, 20th century. And yet they are considered, have the highest IQ of any cultural group in the world by a long shot. Hmm. And it's often been questioned, how is that? And some people say it's because they read. So if you want to improve your intellect and want to improve your ID, you read widely. Yeah, oh yeah, I agree 100% because I've only got interest in reading myself in the last year and it's really, it really opens your mind, like really does. And you get, you get to a stage where, I mean, Chomsky says he's a linguist. You would say, mm. what's the first form of language? And most people say communication. He said, no, it's cognition. It's mm -hmm. improved cognition. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, that's a very valuable lesson in that, you know? Mm, yeah. Because I've been studying NLP, Neuro, Neuro Linguistics Programming, over the last while. Uh, and, um, yeah, Chomsky is a big part of that as well. And then Richard Bandler. Oh, very good. Yeah, I know. I'm very familiar with Neuro Linguistic Programming. And, again, the big thing for me is that everything we understand is a model. It's not a truth. Yeah, it's a truth in the model. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. We, don't become, we, we don't become, our understanding of anything doesn't become a religion. Mm -hmm. It becomes a map, which we yeah. can use and leave it behind when it's appropriate as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very good, yeah. Because we all have our own map. map well, we all, maps are, maps are basically, um, they're there to guide us. Mm -hmm. And that's all they are. The yeah. map is never the same. It's a map is only a compass, in other words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not a territory. But um, yeah. So moving on, do you have a favorite? music wise? Do you do you like um any any artists or or bands? Or? I'd be terrible at, at knowing any of them, but I actually like music. But I, I've I've done a lot of dancing. I've done a lot of bachata and salsa. And oh, so good. much so, twenty hours dance a week for two years. 10 hours yeah. classes and oh, 10 yeah. hours practice on top okay. of running for an hour, an hour and a half every day. <laughs> That'll keep you fit. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, yeah, listen, I really appreciate you coming on tonight, Michael, and I've, hope, I've really enjoyed the, the chat, you know? Yeah, lovely to talk to you. And tell Emerson, I was asking for, I'd love to meet him. Yeah, yeah, he works in the, the job. But listen, thanks a lot for, for joining in. That was Michael Gigox, everybody. Um, please check out his, his books. Um, thanks again, Michael, for joining me tonight. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers, thanks. thanks. That was Mark's um, motivational podcast. I really hope you enjoyed that, that interview. Um, tune in next time. Uh, thanks again. Cheers. Yeah, thanks again for tuning in to tonight's podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. And I really hope you have a great week. Um, should listen, tune in next time. I'll get a podcast on um, this week. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Michael, again. <laughs>